Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is communion wear. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. That's right, everybody. This week, it's a cup of cups, and we're all <laughs> super excited. Specifically, we're talking the cups that are used for communion. Yep. And I got to be honest, other than the bit in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where they're trying to figure out what the quote-unquote cup of Christ would look like, yep. I really have not thought much about them. So what do we need to know? Where should we start? Well, it's just, I think, fun to think about, particularly because a lot of people are going to think about that Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade moment. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. It is a good moment. What is the idea when you are thinking about your communion wear? What do you think of? Do you think of gold and silver? Do you think of clay? Do you think of wood carved? Do you think of crystal? What kind of an element do you think of when you think about a cup used to serve the meal? Well, having grown up Catholic, I can tell you yeah. that it's going to be gold and sparkly and possibly jewel-encrusted, which is why that scene resonated <laughs> so much with me. Really? Uh-huh. When I've attended Catholic Mass, I think of crystal because I believe that most of the ones that I have seen used have been crystal goblets. And you could see through them, like you could see the wine into the crystal goblet. Well, I think seeing it being a red liquid is important to them. I guess so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating piece of information. But what this comes down to is to say that this is one of those pieces that comes down to congregational piety and tradition. Yeah. And there are definitely traditions and definitely different feelings about this, depending upon denomination and flavor. So you will find something vastly different in an Orthodox tradition than you will find in a Baptist tradition than you will find in a Lutheran tradition, as far as what kind of container the meal will be served in or on. Okay. I'm guessing, though, the container itself, what it is, what it's made of, is audiophora. It doesn't really matter as long as you have a container. Correct. Okay. At least according to ELCA Lutherans, sure. it is adiaphora. It is one of those things that does not dictate our salvation. Okay. It may be important to us. It may be something that matters to our experience of the worship or to our experience of our memories, but it doesn't actually impact whether or not God shows up or whether or not we are saved. So given that you can have anything as the cup, mm -hmm. what have you seen in the congregations that you served? Oftentimes the chalices and what's called the paten, which is the plate okay. that the bread or the wafers or whatever is used for the bread is on. So the chalice and the paten oftentimes have some kind of a connection to a gift or to a, a historical reference within the congregation. So either they have been purchased at a time when the congregation was dedicated or they were given in honor of a certain occasion or they were purchased by someone in particular, but they have some kind of a connection to a larger part of a congregation story. Okay. And they will 
be telling of a flavor of a congregation. So whether they are a set of pottery that have been commissioned by a particular artist for a congregation, or whether it is a set of gold chalices with silver inlay that was purchased by a congregation, they tell a story about who a congregation is by what was purchased, how it was purchased, where it came from, and when it showed up, and how it is chosen to be used. Some congregations in the ELCA may have a set of chalices that were received by attending a national youth gathering, because the national youth gathering has sets of communion ware that are created to serve 30,000 people at the closing worship service. Wait, they have a new set every time? For each gathering, not for each worship service, but at each gathering every three years. They make a new set. They make new communion ware. Wow, I did not know that. And the communion ware that is commissioned for that gathering that year will serve everyone that's there, the 30,000 people that are there, and then that communion ware goes home to the congregations. If you choose to purchase one, I believe, you can choose as a congregation to purchase a set of the communion ware that has been used at the gathering. And then you could take that home and you can use that in your congregation. So that can become part of your story. It can become part of who you are. I got to ask one thing before I let that go. Please tell me this isn't like a prom cup that is emblazoned with the theme of the youth gathering in the year of the youth gathering. Or is that part of the whole shtick? I do not know, but it might be. Okay. I don't know. They are certainly not metal. They're not gold and chalices kinds of things. They Mm -hmm. are definitely clay or made by local artists, those kinds of pieces. Fascinating. Okay, so this begs the question of how many sets of chalices or how much communion wear does one congregation typically have? I'm guessing more than one, but I'm not really sure. It depends on the size of the congregation. So depending upon congregational size and how realistic it is to have multiple stations. Okay. For example, our congregation, it is reasonable for us to have two stations. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we have two sets of chalices that match and two patents, which are the plates, and they all match. If we want to go beyond that, we have other options that we can use, but they don't necessarily match the same way. Now, when you're talking a chalice and a patent that match, because usually now we have wine and grape juice, is that the matching set or is it just a chalice and a plate, a chalice and a plate, and then two extra goblets. Getting deep in the weeds here. (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, this is a good question because it actually becomes part of the theological question. And this is one of those theological questions that people may or may not recognize is actually a theological question. Okay. Because there is usually a larger chalice that is the wine and a smaller chalice that is a grape juice. And then your patent that is your plate And sometimes the gluten-free is on a separate plate, Mm -hmm. which is oftentimes also smaller. What the wondering is, is that by placing the grape juice or the gluten-free on a smaller container, are we giving the idea that they are lesser? 
that they are of smaller importance, that they bring less of Jesus? Should we have the exact same size for all of these things and have them able to be distinguished by having, for example, red wine and white grape juice or white wine and red grape juice because it's easier to find red grape juice than white grape juice. Mm -hmm. And can that be created and done in such a way so that there is not this kind of creating a lesser than even in the symbolism of our communion wear, for the ways in which we provide for people who are accessing the sacrament in a way that is different than what we expect to be the norm, the norm being wine and gluten bread. Hmm. I never actually really wondered or worried about such things, but it's also Mm -hmm. nothing that would necessarily affect me one way or another, not being a gluten-free person and not being alcoholic. Right. And so it's these kinds of pieces that as we look towards inclusivity and we look towards our ableism or we look towards the ways in which we don't even recognize that we create tiers of inclusion, what are the ways that we subtly mark what is normal and what is abnormal? What is the expected and what is the, we are making space for you? Okay. Speaking of the expected or the unexpected, the first time I encountered the tiny little cups at the kneeler Mm -hmm. was at a Lutheran church. (laughs) And that I just could not wrap my head around why you would go both to the expense of the little cups and cleaning them and whatever and picking them up and the people that are all involved and the worry of having people coming up to kneel. So this is one of those pieces that is a particular pattern of this congregation. So for folks who are wondering what we're talking about, on the first Sunday of the month, this congregation has had a tradition of bringing kneelers forward and welcoming members to come forward into the chancel area to kneel at the altar rails to receive communion. And for many years, we also offered trays full of tiny glass cups, not the plastic cups, but we still utilized the tiny glass cups of the grape juice and wine that people could choose between them and then drink from. And then afterwards they would be sanitized. We moved to intinction, which is dipping Mm -hmm. at the rail probably about six months prior to the pandemic beginning in 2020. Okay. I think that part of that is that using the cups, using the individual cups, was a move that was taken probably when when this congregation moved away from the common cup. Mm-hmm. They probably went to the individual cups because that would be a move that people would feel would be more sanitary. You know, I'm trying to think back, having grown up Catholic, where it was the common cup, mm-hmm. and I don't remember kneeling at all. I remember skipping it, which is wild, because as a kid, I would have been fascinated by the wine. But I think I was so freaked out about the common cup. Yeah. I just walked right on by. Yeah. And received in one kind, which is just to eat the bread. Mm-hmm. And so people would rather receive by the individual little cups or possibly they let me dip it. I don't remember. Like I said, blocked yeah. out because the common yeah. cup freaked me out. 
Yeah. I miss the common cup. Really? Yeah, I do. But I understand, especially right now, it really is something that is not comfortable for many, many, many folks. What about the common cup are you missing? I think I miss the actual flavor of wine. Okay. <laughs> because Oh, because it's you, different when you dip the bread. When you dip the bread, you don't get very much of it at all. Okay. And when you drink from the little cup, you get at least a little bit more okay. of the wine. But when you take a drink, you actually get a decent amount. It's not like I'm taking a big old slosh of it or anything. Sure. But it's not a bare little tiny drop of wine. I'm actually receiving enough to be able to tell that there's wine there. Mm-hmm. And I'm missing that balance. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Mogan David, and I'm not missing that from the Catholic Church. <laughs> well, that's what we used around here up until the pandemic mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or actually, no, we used Manischewitz. You know what? Same thing. It really is. It really is. Okay, getting back to the cup itself. Mm-hmm. Who actually owns this thing? Is this the pastor goes with the cup? Like you can bring your own to and from? Or is this something that actually just is part of the congregation, part of the church? That's a really great question. So most congregations own their own. Okay. And they belong to the congregation. And many rostered leaders also own our own. Okay. Because we receive them as gifts. Particularly, I believe, word and sacrament rostered leaders, pastors will be given sets at different points in time. So I have two different communion sets that I've been given myself. They're both clay. And then I also own two different travel kits. One of them is wood that I bought for myself in Nicaragua. And one of them is a travel kit that you refill with like the plastic mini cups and wafers and things like that, that we were gifted at graduation by the faculty. Nice. Do you ever consciously decide this is like some high holy day and I want to bust out the nice stuff or this is something I want to highlight something different. So I'm going to choose a different communion wear. I take my personal communion wear out to festivals. Okay. I don't take the church's communion wear off of the property. So you're talking like when you go to Pride, if you're going to serve communion. When I go to communion. Pride, mm-hmm. when okay. I go to Pride or if I go anywhere where I'm being asked to serve communion, I will transport my own communion wear and put it at risk, but I will not transport the church's communion wear. I won't put it at risk. And my communion wear has fallen in broken. <laughs> okay. And so it has been repaired, like Kintsugi, only I used like the glue putty Okay. and painted it gold, right? It's repaired. Sure. But it means something to you. So you're going to hold on to it instead of replacing it. Absolutely. It's served in a lot of festivals. It's served a lot of places where something that is broken and repaired, just like everything else and just like Jesus is kind of beautiful. So I keep taking it with me. Do you have to bless these things or do you bless these things? You can, but they are blessed every time we use them for service. Oh, well, that's a lovely sentiment. (laughs) 
So you mentioned having your own that you take out to festivals and if you're going to do it offsite, are there like specialty ones for certain things? Like you would get a special one for a funeral or a baptism or a, I don't know, wedding something? Well, there's actually one that's really interesting. It's like a two for one where it has a divider in it. Okay. So you can like have one side with the host and one side with the wine. Oh man, don't tip. No, it has like, it's like fully divided. Okay. So it's like a twofer. (laughs) What? That's just easier, faster? Yeah. I don't know, but it's kind of cool. Okay. So there are different models and styles is what you're getting at. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That begs the question of what is the nicest that you've ever used? The nicest I've ever used is the one I'm using in the moment when I'm serving. Oh, that is <laughs> come on. Such such a Lutheran answer. <laughs> Nicely done. Well played. <laughs> All right, then my last question. What has the pandemic taught you about the kind of communion wear that you prefer and that you're comfortable with? Has it changed? You going back to something? Obviously not the common cup, not yet. Yeah, not the common cup. One thing that it has taught me is that it is challenging to preside online. Sure. And to preside online with so little space for movement Mm -hmm. and the size of everything gets so much smaller. So what I was using to preside online was just a household wine glass and a very, very, very tiny little carafe of wine. Mm -hmm. But it looked huge online because it was inches from my camera and my gestures were all so small. And then getting back into the sanctuary and having to learn again how to preside in such a large space and to utilize the space that we have. And I'm not pouring the wine again yet and just remembering how to manage it all. Mm -hmm. It's such a different feel. And I think there is such a different feel to it. I miss the longer prayer More than the communion where itself, I think there are pieces to the liturgy that we still haven't worked back into our practices, that we are working back into our practices that also interact with the communion where and the liturgy and the practices that we do that I am eager to return to. Interesting. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about communion where. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for having this little bit of conversation with us. If you have a favorite memory about communion wear or receiving communion, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.